0: Welcome to the Bolstered Up Sports Podcast. I'm Brian Bolster. Please follow me on Instagram at bolstered, underscore up, underscore sports, and on Twitter at BS underscore takes. This podcast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, and Podbean. So please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. I appreciate all of your support. Today got a great episode on deck. It's gonna be part one of our Last Dance podcast series. Ethan Poulos and Will Langmeyer join me to deep dive into episodes one and two, talking about first impressions, new stories that we learned about, and lasting impact. I'm really looking forward to it. All right, thanks for joining me, guys. How you doing? How, how are you, PB?
1: I'm doing good, man. How about
0: you? Hey, I'm great. Run is treating you all right.
2: Oh yeah.
0: How are you doing, Ethan?
2: I'm doing good, yeah. Just trying to get through with this crap and teaching high schoolers.
0: Yep, remote learning. It's a lot of fun. Yep.
2: Yeah.
0: Is hey, Panda uh, By the way, has the golf course? I know Florida's kind of opened up for the most part. At least is what we hear. In North Carolina, is everything running pretty smoothly down there?
1: Yeah, it's uh, everything's pretty. You know, nothing too crazy. They stopped using caddies. Of course, I work at as caddies. Uh, they stopped making them mandatory, so you can still take them, but. Uh, He used to be before 2 o'clock, he had to take them no matter what. Everyone's got to ride in their own car. Only one person per car. But besides that, I mean, it's
0: pretty normal. All right, that's good to hear. Good to hear you guys are doing well. Let's go ahead and jump into The Last Dance, Episode 1. I want to hear y'all's first thing that stood out to you. That was kind of a wow moment. I'll go ahead and start that way. You guys have a minute to think. But mine was, you know, in just the first couple minutes... Of the episode, Jerry Reinsdorf is getting interviewed and he says out loud that they were going to break up the team after the fifth championship. Like, yep, all right, it's time to rebuild after only the fifth championship. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he just got back on TV and interviewed and just admitted that out loud. Now, he did obviously take the opportunity kind of throughout the whole documentary to throw Kraus under the bus a decent amount. And, you know, they came to the agreement that the 98 season was going to be the last season no matter what. And for Krause to come out and publicly say, I don't care if they go 82-0, and Phil Jackson will not be the coach for the Bulls next year. This is his last year no matter what. And you tack on knowing that Michael Jordan has made it public that He is not going to play for any other coach besides Phil Jackson was just remarkable to me that one, they had to begrudgingly give them a chance to defend their championship and get to the sixth one. But also they just drew a line in the sand and all right, this is the last year no matter what, 82-0, and 0, I don't care. And even if Michael Jordan is saying that he'll just retire if Phil Jackson's gone, then that's still our decision. was just mind-boggling to me. But what, what was the first thing that really stuck out to you guys? Maybe go ahead and start, Ethan. Um, I just thought
2: really kind of going through all the college stuff. And like as a Carolina fan, you kind of know all that stuff. But yeah, that and the continuous just kind of Crouse- dunking that was happening the entire episode this one really felt felt like the first one was the main point of it, it was like we're gonna dunk on kraus early and just kind of get that out there and then the rest of the episodes will kind of back off a little bit but it opened up that lane i think but i think that was definitely the biggest kind of takeaway from this one was just hearing kraus just continuously get dunked on every chance they had to like give him a short joke or something
0: yeah i agree that they definitely laid the foundation for like kraus messed this up he tried to mess it up even a year early throw in some short jokes some you know tubby guy jokes um and that's obviously a theme throughout all six episodes at least so far but um what about you will what do you think first thing
1: I would say the same thing as you really, like the fact that they were about to break up the team, you know, after winning a fifth championship, no one seemed like they were really slowing
0: down from what
1: I could tell. And just I'm sure you guys are even a couple years younger than I am, like I don't remember any of this drama stuff, you know, and I've never heard much about it, honestly, and I'm a big sports guy, so a lot of this stuff is new, new to me. But uh, yeah, it's the fact that they were so bent on Krause at least, was bent on, like, breaking up the team or getting rid of Scotty at least. Like, I guess I get where he's coming from in terms of they were being real disrespectful to him, even though he's the GM, and they weren't really – they didn't really give a – you know, they didn't really care about him at all, if you want to say that. Just the amount of disrespect they threw at him, like, to his face, like, not even, like, behind his back. Just they would just say – viciously just say anything about, like, just how short he was or, like, you know, all sorts of stuff. Just – no, no holds barred, just all in. And it's just, like shocking to hear. I mean, you get it because they're Michael Jordan Scottie Pippen. They're the biggest, I mean, Michael Jordan's the most famous person in the world at that point. He can do it every once, but I mean, it's just shocking to hear some of that stuff for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. They definitely didn't hold back at all. I definitely think for people 30 and under that are really into sports and the NBA, we know the Michael Jordan story from a, a larger perspective. Right, like we know North Carolina, the NBA journey, going to the Wizards, the championships. We know all of those things big picture, but not as well adapted to the the behind-the-scenes storylines. And really, I'd say the public in general probably wasn't all that into it just because you got to think this is early 90s and the internet is just now kind of getting mainstreamed, so... That was one of my thoughts too when I saw that. Just the blatant disrespect to Jerry yeah. Krause, like their boss. I mean, I get it. It's yeah. it's a different than me or you saying something to our boss. Yeah. But if that happened today with you know LeBron James or somebody just openly in interviews right after winning a championship, just trashing their GM over and over. Not to get too far ahead, but even with the dream team stuff. You know, with Scottie Pippen's teammates, Charles Barkley even got up and said something. And, you know, it was really just the whole crew ganged up those top elite NBA players and collectively were trashing Kraus, which (laughs) is just hard to imagine happening now, especially with social media would go so crazy that it would just have to get split up. They couldn't even last that long. Like, it, it would just have to get split up. Well, yeah, and I, I just don't think that, I, I mean, even today,
1: I mean, if it was Michael Jordan, like, they they just can't, I mean, you just can't imagine a GM taking that abuse and it being public and then not doing, even if it was Michael Jordan, getting rid of, like, I mean, people just didn't know, I don't think, back then how bad it was or how disrespectful they were being. So, I mean, A, he shouldn't try to break them up as Michael Jordan, but B, if you're in his shoes, you got these people ripping you every day like that, I mean,
2: What are you going to do? I mean, I would probably try to get rid of them. One of them, something. Yeah. And also, like, having him be the main bad guy in Space Jam, Jerry Krause being Swaghammer, that's LeBron putting Dan Gilbert as the bad guy in the new one. Like, that's how blatant it was. But, like, for us, that's something we're like, I've seen Space Jam more times than I can count. (laughs) And yeah. I never – because I didn't know Jerry Krause, what he looked like. I never made that connection. And then somebody yeah. put it on Twitter, and I was like, that's 100%. And then you put it on the poll, Brian, on your Instagram or whatever. And I was like, yeah, 100%. That's exactly who that character was modeled after. Was He's, li- he's poking fun at his boss in a movie for everybody to see by saying he's this fat alien that is trying to get rid of – the old attractions for new attractions. It's literally what he was trying to do with the Bulls. So just kind of just seeing that kind of like out in the open, just insult is really funny to me now just to look back and see that.
0: Yeah. That, that Instagram poll, by the way, was unanimous a hundred percent, especially it, like those two pictures I put up. Yeah. They didn't even try to hide it at all. Like they used that same kind of burgundy suit that he would wear a lot, they made sure to give him like the extra double chin just full-time. You know, just kind of his characteristics that stood out. They made sure to highlight those. It was pretty hilarious, but definitely. So from the beginning, foundation is laid that Jerry Krause is trash and was always trying to break it up from the beginning always looking for the next player to add that would kind of replace Michael and Scotty so he didn't have to deal with them anymore. And then the kind of the underlying note is Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, was just incredibly cheap. Like, I don't think he was necessarily bad and would, I don't think he wanted to break them up at all, but he was going to hold a hard line on being cheap at all cost, even if the players were going to get really upset, even if Jerry Krause had to take all the blame. He was fine with that. Like He was just, you know, his mindset was once you sign that contract, like, you're done. I'm not hearing anything from you for seven years. In the case of Scottie Pippen, that seven-year, $18 million contract.
1: I I guess I understand why he takes that stance, but I think you need to make an exception for Scott, for someone like Scottie Pippen. It's not just like some guy who you know, it is questionable whether he'd be good on another team maybe or something like that. Like, I don't know, an example. but I mean, he's he's one of the main two guys on your team. Like, he's a top five player in the NBA probably for most of his career. It's like, it's not someone piping up for more money because they want it. It's because he deserves it. You know, I mean, and the fact that the Bulls were getting outdrawn by an indoor arena soccer league in the 80s and then now they're a global franchise, I mean, the biggest franchise in the world probably by the time they were done. I mean, it's not like the Cowboys, where they're going to be good no matter what. Like, the Bulls were terrible. They had no fans. And then basically, almost single-handedly, Scotty and, and Michael made them into the biggest franchise in the world, almost. So it's it's not like the brand's going to survive without them. Like They made
0: it, you know? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that was Reinsdorf's mistake, is he just didn't respect the power that the players uh-huh. had. And I don't mean just like the player empowerment now, but yeah. just... Michael and Scottie Pippen were the reason that they were winning, which is the reason that they were making money. And he tried to take more of like a traditional business stance in a contract negotiation. And it makes you look bad when, you know, Scottie Pippen I believe was like the seventh highest paid player on their team because the cap just soared after he signed that contract. So they had the room to sign him to a new contract to give him some more money. And they just, basically decided to draw a hard line in the sand and not. And then going along with what you were saying, the the Chicago Bulls is a completely different situation than the Dallas Cowboys. Like you said, their brand is not a long-lasting brand that's just going to be successful no matter what. And we've seen that play out, obviously, since Jordan left the Bulls. And he even – being interviewed after that fifth championship and they talked about well is this going to be a rebuild and he stated well we're defending this championship there's no way we should rebuild we have the right to go back and try to win it again defend our championship next year and he gave a quote that's some foreshadowing he said you know rebuilding there's no guarantee that you're going to turn it around and get back to this championship level in three, four, five years. And he said his joke was the Cubs have been rebuilding for 42 years. And we've seen that play out where really the Bulls have struggled quite a bit since he left. They had some short stints, but definitely are seen as one of the lower-level franchises, one of the lower-level front offices since that late 90s period.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, they, they were seeing that way before, too. I mean, that guy uh, was named Thorne, the GM before Jay Krause. I mean, that yeah. dude seemed kind of like an idiot, too. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. They, they, haven't been, they haven't done anything before Michael. They haven't done anything since Michael. So, I mean, it's hard to argue with the results. And it's, and it's the same thing as you were saying, that one GM, I can't remember who it was, either Ryan's door for uh, or Krause, reached out to another GM talking about this whole situation like trying to talk about how she want to get rid of Scotty or whatever and he's like Dude. he's like he's, he said Jerry Grouse didn't realize what he had like they were the Beatles like you don't break up the Beatles for you know the next time like there's only one of those they, you let, they, and, they and they have the right to you know, see it out as long as they want to see it out until they can't play anymore or whatever you want to say but that's uh, I agree with that he, he didn't realize you, you don't Break these guys up. You let them do what they want to do until they can't do it anymore. And they clearly were still doing it. They were—they're were all coming off back-to-back titles. Not like we're talking about they had a crappy year. Or they, you know, they're the three seed. They lost in the conference finals. Like they won the whole thing, back-to-back years. Jordan was amazing. It's not like they were—they were falling off a cliff. You
0: know? Yeah, I think you run in where you've got extremely tough personalities on both sides of the issue. And the thing is, when you go back, and I've, I've listened to a couple people who were around during that era, Magic Johnson, as well as others, and they were like, well, really, Jerry Krause was a pretty dang good GM. Probably one of the top five. His thing that got him in trouble was he wanted it to be about him. And so, I don't think he thought, well, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen don't matter. It was more... I'm so good that okay, maybe I won't have Michael Jordan, but I can assemble this team to compete for championships regardless of one individual player. And same yeah. for coach. Yeah, and I think if you look at what he did in episode six, we're just kind of jumping ahead a little
2: bit, but like quickly, what he did with um Ku Coach there and I think Ku Coach getting bullied in the Olympics just because they can't beat up Jerry Krause on a basketball court, but they can beat up Ku on a basketball court. Let's do that. Ku Coach was a good player. Like he didn't being a very good pro. They got in like the second or third round of the draft. And that was somebody that he went and got for that team. And they just they just didn't like it because he was trying to make the team better. It wasn't that he was him getting the money over Pippen was the big thing. But, no, he wasn't good GM in that, like, he wanted to make the team better. He just wanted to make the team better because he made it better, not because the players were making the team better. I think that was his biggest mistake overall, the whole thing. And I read the Jordan Rules, like, five, six years ago. It's a good book. It makes Jordan look a lot worse. This documentary makes him look just as, like, a general person and stuff. But it does show, like, the same thing they're showing now. Krauss is the bad guy. Reisendorf is just super, super cheap the whole time, kind of like you were saying. And it goes in a little more detail about that. But yeah, I think he, especially now that he's passed on, he can't defend himself. So you get some of the interviews from him in like the early 2000s. We don't get anything from him today where he's actually doing and be able to protect himself from what's being said. Because having him in this would be very interesting to have him being with his perspective in this as well.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I, I that was my first thought. I was like, I wonder if he would even agree to be interviewed for this. From what I've seen, just at least the window we've seen into his ego, I would say yes. Unfortunately, we don't get that chance. He he passed away a couple years ago. Yeah, that would definitely be interesting. So in the, in this episode, they go back. You know, they shift up and down the timeline quite a bit through this documentary, and they shift backwards from right after that fifth championship to some of his time. At North Carolina. And it was really cool getting to see basically like the innocence of Michael Jordan. Like he was an 18 year old, 19 year old Southern kid that you could tell when he was being interviewed was not, you know, he wasn't polished, wasn't used to it. You could see he's a little bit intimidated, unsure of his words, and that's obviously made a drastic change. I thought during the North Carolina part, made Roy Williams had some of the best lines about how Michael Jordan worked hard. He said, you know, Michael Jordan told him, hey, I want to be the best player to have ever played here. And he said, well, you're going to have to work harder. And he said, Michael Jordan said, well, I'm working just as hard as everybody else. And Roy Williams, in kind of his southern way, you know, sticks his hand out. It was like, oh, well, I thought you said you wanted to be one of the best players to ever play here. And he said, Michael Jordan was like, I'm going to be the hardest worker that you've ever seen. And basically went out and proved it. And the the second line he had was, the, Michael Jordan's the only player that I've ever seen that could turn it on and off. And he never freaking turned it off. <laughs> Just kind of like classic Roy Williams moments. And I thought it was cool I mean, to go a, back and see that.
2: As a Carolina fan, Roy always kind of comes off as like kind of like super nice, but never... You don't get that, like, intensity from him a lot of times. I thought he was the most efficient in the whole thing. He got, like, three three little parts, and he just took all three parts and with them. But, like, never freaking turned it off, and that's Roy talking to the camera, because he definitely drops an F-bomb if that's not on camera. <laughs> and the, like, kind of intensity, you see his eyes kind of get a little bit, like, more just like determined and everything you're like all right that's that's where Roy's kind of like intensity comes in and seeing seeing that but Roy was the guy that got him to Carolina Dean Dean was obviously the head coach and Dean was kind of the reason he ended up going but Roy kind of discovered him got him to go to the ABC camp and got in which was honestly a mistake they actually the Carolina coaches actually were like we didn't want him to go to that because we wanted to hide him from everybody yeah. else And one of the funny stories about that, he went to the ABC ABC camp, was the MVP the first session. The coaches wanted him to stay for the second
0: session, but they couldn't pay. His parents couldn't pay for him to stay. So they said, okay, you stay
2: and wait tables and stuff. So he stayed and waited on the campers that he was in camp with and then went out and would have won MVP again, but they didn't get MVP twice. They didn't give. They didn't want to give two the MVP award to the same player. So he won technically won MVP twice at the ABC camp. Then they were like, "Oh no, this kid's really, really good." And that kind of stuff. I just thought that was really cool. Always seeing Coach Smith is kind of just a cool thing um, to see him in this. And I know their relationship was always really close. Kind of the biggest like last pictures um, at them. At them at the uh, I think it was um, his retirement or something, and he's kissing uh, Dean on the head um and that's kind of one of the more famous pictures of them and just seeing him talk i thought was really cool that was for me i liked episode one a lot just the carolina fan that was a for me it was a fun one to see that and then seeing him ride around campus on a bike just like him and a friend just jay chilling, riding ride around campus it's like what happened to college kids even these freshmen like they can't do that today they ride around campus on a bike, and they're getting mobbed everywhere they go. This kid just rides around campus on a bike after winning a national championship, and there's there's nothing going on. So I thought that was a really cool thing.
0: It's definitely cool to get you know kind of the blast from the past and have the story about him writing a letter to his mom asking for more stamps and a couple oh. bucks, you know, for groceries. And it's like that's just cool. And like you brought up, some of this stuff will never happen again. Even just him going to the camp and waiting on tables. Like, that's never happening again for a high profile recruit. You know, everything has changed. They have to mature so much. And I thought it was cool that they mentioned how influential his time at Carolina, growing up, getting to stay a kid, and having a disciplinarian as a leader and a coach and Dean Smith guide him along. And I really don't think that Michael Jordan becomes himself without that time not that he wouldn't have been a great player but really just the confidence that you see in him today i mean those oh, yeah. first interviews to now could not be more different mm-hmm. they just couldn't be but i i
1: agree like it's, i think that's why you see a lot of younger guys struggling today in the nba is they don't it's kind of the same thing being a golfer like you know you kind of saw with michelle we like michael jordan learned he, he obviously wasn't successful, super successful when he was in middle school, early high school. He got cut when he was a sophomore. Well, he learned, you know, worked on his game, grew four or five inches, whatever it was, and he learned how to dominate in high school. Then he went to Carolina. He was obviously good as a freshman, hit the game winner in the national championship, but probably not super well polished. They said he improved so drastically every season he was there. So by the time got to the NBA, he was already pretty polished, and he was the best player in the NBA. I mean, people were saying it as soon as he got there, like, wow, this guy's good. But these, these college guys, they're there, they're on campus for, I mean, we're talking like five or six months at a time, you know, by the time they actually start playing to the time they're finished. And then they're off to the NBA and they just don't learn how to dominate or be the guy on their team, you know, at, in college. So then it's harder for them to actually translate that to the NBA like Michael did. You know, he was already established, you know, he knew he fit in and he knew his game. You know, he was try, still trying to figure it out. He knew what he was, and he went out there and played. I think a lot of these guys are suffering from that, I've only played one or two years the college.
0: Yeah, it's tough not having that that grace period really to mature. I can't imagine it myself. I can go ahead and tell you that. But yeah. and not to mention if you threw a bunch of fame and, you know, pro- honestly these kids probably getting money too at age 18, I yeah. just, uh, yeah, it's it's tough to imagine. So after that Carolina scene, they flash back to the season opener of um, the sixth championship season. And they're playing their theme music. They call out Jerry Krause, and he just gets booed by the home crowd. And I'm sure that was just tough on his ego to hear that. And then the next thing that stood out, you know, the player's run in Kerr and they're getting cheered and Michael obviously gets a huge cheer and Scotty Pippen comes out and I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. This was the style, the long baggy suits just crack me up. Cause you know, again today it's a, it's a societal, a cultural difference where today everything's the opposite. Like it's slim fit suit. You want it tailored perfect or even in a lot of cases some people get it what i would consider like a little too short and these guys they're six foot seven they've got a suit a jacket that would probably cover me head to toe and it's just <laughs> hilarious it's hilarious seeing the style there's, just...
2: there's a picture of um mj or on twitter or whatever it's like four pictures of him in his tie he has a white shirt on and his tie is not on the picture at the bottom of his tie is not even there you can't see it anymore it's just so long and this dude's six foot six like yeah. the tie is not on the picture at all it's so low and then his collar have you all noticed the collar on the shirts how it's you can't even see the tie knot it's just like yeah it's nice, uh, and the, the collar is all the way like touching pretty yeah. much in the middle it's, like so it's uh it's what they wear in uh what's that movie uh, Goodfellas, I think, is what yeah. the bobsters used
0: to wear. They had like you can even barely see the tie knot. It's uh, I'm pretty sure they had. There's lots of scenes of like Goodfellas with a uh, Joe Pesci and, and those guys wearing yeah. the, those collars like that. So it's pretty pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And so then going back, they get into it more the transition to episode two. But with Scottie Pippen, my first thought was like like why isn't he dressed? That's kind of weird. And it's obviously because of the injury. And his famous line, you know, episode two is like the Scotty Pippen episode. And his funny line about it was, well, I wasn't going to mess my summer up. So I waited to have surgery till the season to kind of show them like, well, you know, if you're going to treat me like this and not pay me like you should have, then I'm going to take half the season off. It's the PG quote. Yeah, he didn't quite say mess. It was another four-letter word, but, you know, we'll leave it to the, their imagination. But this was probably my my favorite episode. Honestly, the episode two, because there are a lot of stories out about Michael Jordan, obviously, the Jordan Rules book, um, as well as just he's been in the, the media spotlight for longer, and especially it's continued after his playing career. He's just famous for golfing, famous for the gambling, famous for owning the Charlotte Hornets now, and Pippin is basically just kind of you know faded into the background. So I thought his story was really cool, and I I would say I probably learned the most during this episode. How about those Pippin voices? Oh God, yeah, <laughs> those things, yeah, those things are absurd.
1: <laughs> so, the voice are so deep you can really even they sound like an alien. His, brother, his brother's
0: even Yeah, no, his brother.
1: His brother's like, his brother is even more nuts than
0: his. His brother's was awesome. It was like <laughs> he pulled him out of a mountain cabin. He hadn't spoken to anybody in years. It was just as country as it gets. And his brother, by the way, I know, well, first, he had 11 brothers and sisters. So I'm sure there was a good gap. I'm not sure yeah. the the age of I that brother. But, yeah, he looked like 70. Seventy
1: five. Yeah.
0: I mean yeah, I mean, maybe not that old, but he definitely looks a lot than <laughs> Scotty, that's for sure. I mean I'd say I'd say at least sixty. I mean how old is Scotty now?
1: I mean he's gotta be fifty, I guess. He's probably 55, He, 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 doesn't look, he doesn't, Scotty doesn't look old at all. He looks no. like he's still well, <laughs> he's, he still play. He's I mean, he looks he looks really young, but uh, yeah, his brother definitely uh I guess could have like it they sound almost the same, but just like amplified. It's just like how is like southern, like as deep as you can possibly find voice. Mm-hmm. And, like he's been smoking cigars since he was fourteen years old every day. Like it was insane.
0: Yeah, and, and he had the cool line, like they, you know, they didn't even know they were poor. Yeah. Like they, you know, they're just eleven brothers and sisters, so twelve kids and the parents living in a home they talked about playing in the dirt a lot. They had that kind of like a dirt driveway for their basketball goal and yeah. it, it's just cool to see that too. Like you don't even the innocence of it just you don't even know you're poor. You're just loving life for what it is. Um as pr- as pretty cool to see because obviously he grew up through quite a bit of adversity. One to his older brother being paralyzed just messing around in basically gym class and then his father having a stroke just at the dinner table that you know that stuff will harden you quite a bit yeah. and then you know they they get into his time at Central Arkansas and almost a similar story with Michael Jordan just 3 or 4 years later where Michael Jordan was cut from varsity, his sophomore year, and then made that huge growth spurt. Scottie Pippen went to Central Arkansas as a equipment manager, trying to play his way onto the team, and came in. The coach said at 6'1", 160, and then came back the next year at at least six five, and then got to six seven, and it's just cool to see. Like, can you imagine? Being the equipment manager at what is that? A D2 school,
1: I think it says, I don't know what the, what the divisions were. at the You're in NAIA. NAIA school, I don't know exactly how that is now, but at the time it was NAIA. I don't
0: know if that was Division Two or close to it back then. Now, NAIA is like Division Four, is what I would kind of you know, yeah, it's just it. it's separate. It's it yeah. doesn't quite fall into divisions, but it's definitely even today, it's a bottom level type of program.
1: Uh, no, I was just saying it's hard to believe someone even if he was only six one, it's hard to believe that no one better than Central Arkansas considered having another basketball team. And it, even Central Arkansas didn't want him on team. I mean the, the equipment manager. I mean well, I mean, what well, that's the same. He
0: couldn't have been that bad at basketball to where he had to be the equipment manager. I feel like no, got, you, uh, no YouTube, no YouTube Panda. Like if you, you know, if your name isn't out there, and probably if you don't, if your family doesn't have the money to at least get you to a camp or yeah. two, and you aren't some just physical freak, which at that time he wasn't, I could see how you would go a little bit underrated. Now I do think part of the untold story—it's definitely not fact, but is part of the reason he went to Central Arkansas is because it was very close to home. And, yeah. I, you know, there's been stuff at least floating out there that he could have gone and had a scholarship to start at some other yeah. really small schools, don't get me wrong.
2: Yeah. I got uh, something, though, too. Um, I've, Bomani Jones said something I thought was really cool. He said that a lot of these guys we see that hit these massive growth spurts in college, especially like Pippen growing six inches, Growing up with, 11, with 13 people in the house, he probably didn't get a whole lot to eat growing up. So a lot of these kids going to college that we all of a sudden see gain six inches, put on 30 or 40 pounds. Right? Because they finally get to eat food. Like,
0: or make, at least like, as much as they wanted. Yeah, like He probably like got go, to eat enough, but just not yeah. like a teenage kid would want to just feast.
2: Like an adequate amount to grow and just put on weight, and so he gets to college and they can eat. All of a sudden, he's eating food, and then, holy cow, he grows six inches but keeps all the skills he had. And that's what we see like Anthony Davis and players like that today, too, that are these massive players but still kept a lot of their guard skills. But I think that was kind of an interesting thing. And then, obviously, his growing up also shows with the negotiations he had with his contract because he feels so responsible to take care of his family that – he has – he's like, I'm going to sign this deal because I want to set myself up to have seven years of stable, really, really good income coming in instead of, OK, I'm going to sign a two- or three-year deal, bet on myself again, and then maybe get hurt and screw it up, where if he had a little more income coming in or he was a little bit well off, better well-off growing up, he might not make that decision. Obviously, he makes up for it at the end of his career when he has four – four years of massive contracts with the Rockets and Blazers and stuff. But I think that's really interesting, too, to look at like how his background kind of made him grow up and change his outcomes and stuff instead of what could happen to some other kid um, and things like that. So that was something I thought was really interesting.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, he just got a little unfortunate with the time he was playing because – I feel like now you don't see people get massively underpaid too much, and if if ever, just because there's more of a structure, there's more, you know, they compare themselves to other guys, what they're making, like, back then it was more like, I feel like, I don't know this for a fact, but it feels like it was more like a free-for-all, like, you know, it was more like a straight-up negotiation rather than like, oh, this guy's making, you know, five million a year, so I want six million a year, I don't think it really happened like that, from what I can tell, so like. If he would have played t- if he was played today he probably would have got you know how it is with Max and everything he could he probably got a max contract for somebody because he had to but without the structuring of the CBA he kind of got screwed there too yeah absolutely
0: oh definitely it was you know and that is that's exactly where I was going that's the unfortunate side of his humble beginnings is that definitely led in to him signing that contract he wanted yeah. long-term stability and that's it and felt responsible for his family which you know it's great that he did that and again i mean don't feel too bad for the guy he's made plenty of money especially looking back now but it, it was that those humble beginnings feeling responsible to take care of his family probably wasn't getting the best advice you know legal advice and in, in terms of the contract and who knows maybe he just didn't listen and then you couple that with i don't think on a big picture, even the NBA really understood what was going to happen to the cap. And then yeah. it's just in one year's time, it exploded. And he had to go another six years on that contract being extremely underpaid. I, I believe by the end of it, they said he was about the 122nd highest paid player, which yeah. is pretty unbelievable. Um, yeah, it was crazy. So after they really get into the Pippen story, they flash back to Michael Jordan's second year in the league, breaks his foot, kind of a fluke thing, and is really a moment for me because I knew he broke his foot but didn't hear a doctor talk about it basically. And it's like, wow, we really could have missed out on Michael Jordan. Whereas that kind of break in the middle of your foot And the doctor straight up said like, this is one of those things that a lot of times takes a lot longer to heal than others. And sometimes just doesn't heal. And I think you really see that play out with the big guys. They just don't come back from something like that. Um, So it was was cool seeing like, wow, we almost missed out on Michael Jordan. And then this to me is where he really started building his legacy from a big picture perspective and national perspective of like, wow, this guy's, crazy like he's a crazy competitor and he has the famous line of Reinsdorf said hey if you had a headache and I had the cure in this bottle there's 10 pills the problem is only one of them might kill you so nine pills are gonna cure you one pill might kill you would you take it which is basically you know he's making the analogy to that's the risk that you're taking now if you play Right, Like, most, you'll probably be good, but there's a chance your career is dead. And Michael Jordan says, well, it depends how bleeping bad the headache is, right? And he laughs about it. And the thing is, Michael Jordan's serious. Like, he was going to do that. He was, it didn't matter that his career might end. One, he was only focused on the positive side of it. But two, he was concerned with, if I am able to play, then I want to play. And then play as hard as possible.
1: I think uh, you know the fact that he played at Carolina when they went when he you know snuck away to Carolina and he played you know scrimmages and stuff. His foot was probably fine by then. Obviously, you don't know, but you have to think at that point if he's playing on it and something bad doesn't happen by then, it's probably okay. But I was I was telling my friends. I mean, that whole argument between the, the management, Reinsdorf, whatever, and Kraus and, Krause and Michael Jordan is the most ridiculous ar- argument of all time. They're like, Michael, you know, if you play again, you could not, ne- you know, if you read yourself, you might never play again. And Michael's like, yeah, but like, I really want to play basketball. And they're like, okay, like, that, I get it. You want to play basketball, but you know, you're 23 years old, you got your whole career ahead of you. If you, not, if you do this, you might never play basketball again. And Michael's like, yeah, but I made a promise to myself that would always make the playoffs. And it's like, it's like, you have your whole life, your whole career ahead of you, are 23. The doctor's telling you, if you break this thing again, you might never play again. You're pretty much done. I think that's what the doctor said. Like, it's over. And he's like, ah, but, you know, I really want to play, and I want to be in the playoffs. And they're going, they're like 30 and 52, going, and they're the last seed in the playoffs. They're playing possibly the best Celtics team of all time. With Larry Bird, Mikhail, Parrish, Danny Ainge, all those guys. He knows they're not gonna win. He has to no, know they're not gonna win. I mean No,
0: he didn't. He didn't know that. <laughs> he <laughs> knows they're not gonna win.
2: It is deep
1: down in his heart, he knew they weren't gonna beat this, the freaking Celtics. if only because he knew his teammates were bombs. So <laughs> there's no way he was thinking we're gonna go in there and beat Larry Bird and those guys. But he wanted to compete, so that's why I mean, that's why he played. You gotta respect that about him, but at the same time it's it was probably an incredibly dumb thing
0: to do at the time. Yeah, and this was another example of something that would never happen today. Because oh. today, I mean, you see it with B- Ben Simmons going back to him and Bead some, even Zion a little bit with this knee. Like, yeah. I don't. Your agent, let alone the team, would be like, you're not getting a choice. They would say you're not. We're not giving you a jersey. You don't have a jersey to play with. Like you are not playing, and we're going to sit you out for the rest of the year. They wouldn't have even yeah. done the minutes restriction, and that's. No. And then the next thing, you know, part of the reason the team didn't want him to play when it came down to the end of the season, was well, if we don't make the playoffs, because they were thinking exactly along the lines that you were, they're going to play the Celtics and they're going to lose. We might as well get a better draft pick. And Michael Jordan has, when he's asked about that, he's like angry, visibly, first of all. And this, uh, so the division's already started. And he says, you play to win the game. I don't care about a draft pick. And he always says, you know, the game of basketball. He's like, that's disrespectful to the game of basketball. You know, we all have the obligation to try as hard as you can to win every opportunity out there. And it's interesting because, first of all, nowadays – Obviously, organizations don't feel that way except for the Charlotte Hornets ran by Michael Jordan because they have famously refused to tank or even really like a version of tanking and have just, they stick from pick 10 to pick 14. They're just right in there pretty much. Yeah, (laughs) and and terrible at drafting the picks they
2: do. Yeah, and I was going to say too, people talk about like, Tanking, and that's like a new idea. No, the Bulls were tanking at 85. They 100% yeah. wanted to tank 85 and get a better pick. It's like old people just don't want to talk about that. Like, okay, no, they tanked. No, they tanked. They did. They, they were wanting to make sure that they could get the best draft pick possible. And then, like, y'all can bring up the same thing. Like, you said, that's the reason the Hornets suck. Like, he's a terrible owner because he can't get it out of his head. Like, we're not going to make the playoffs we have to lose to get better players to then win in his mind. It's like, no, you just go out there and win the game. He, even when you talked about the nine, the nine out of 10 in his quote with that in his mind, he was like, you're freaking crazy for even saying that. I don't want to take these bills even today. Like him saying that when he was getting interviewed um, also quick side note on his interviews, his drink is hilarious to watch because it's his own brand of tequila. And second of all, I saw some things. They said his eyes look like Velveeta, like Velveeta cheese. He smokes six cigars a day. Like, it's just all smoking. all You can tell. Like, it's just Velveeta <laughs> cheese. They're just yellow at this point. It's so funny.
0: And that's, like you are bringing up, that's one of the cool parts about his interviews. He doesn't necessarily, you know, in the interview for the documentary – He's not necessarily saying groundbreaking or new stuff. It's more, you can see the emotion on his face, the intensity is just like it was back in 1985. Like he was, once the idea got brought back up to him, he was like instantly back in the mode and was pissed. Like, how dare they ask me to sit out so they can get a better draft pick. Going back to your... Like he, they haven't had great drafts. I think again that goes to wanting to win now. So yeah. he's trying to pick the guy who's really good in college and maybe has a high floor instead of the high ceiling. And we, I mean, I think you could see that through his draft picks. Definitely, and I mean, I, I don't want to get into that because that's I, I don't, I'm not as
1: informed enough about that. But obviously, they're not they're not doing good, making good moves. But, I mean, yeah, when, when they're losing in 85, it's like, I don't think they were even actively tanking. I think they were just like, we're not going to win. Michael's hurt. There's a chance if he gets hurt, he's never going to play again. So, A, it, it helps us to preserve Michael and not risk his career. And, B, it also is going to help us out get a better draft pick. I don't think they, are like, set up the roster because he didn't break his foot until the season started for several games, something like that. So it wasn't like they – you know, we're cutting guys and stuff like that. But they were definitely, like, I don't think it was extreme. Like, they were like, we need a better draft pick. I think it was like, well, Michael's hurt. We suck anyway. Why not save Michael and get a better draft pick? And Michael sees it as, you know, disrespect, you know disrespectful for the game. And like you said, you, you always got to play to win. But, I mean, if, if they just sat Michael out, like, which I think is a very reasonable thing to do. It's not like they were – you know, it's not like Michael was healthy and ready to go and, and had no problems and they were like, Ah, you should probably sit it up. Like he had a legitimate, legitimately serious injury that he was still not surely hundred percent back from. It's not like they're being selfish or they're being like, We need a better traffic. They're like, We don't want you to get hurt and we can get a better traffic But well, Michael doesn't see it like that, obviously. So it's just interesting to see that dynamic and just and that's just his mentality his whole life. That's where that's why he is why he got to where he got to, is because everything's about winning all the time so and like you said it's detrimental in a situation where he's the owner but when he's the player you know
0: it's just a different dynamic yeah I mean of course that's that's a smart decision when your franchise player is potentially risking his career of course you yeah. want to sit him out and if that yeah. brings along the better pick then definitely but I think like this is when you really see that division and They don't go too public with it, but I I would be willing to bet because, you know, they end up, long story short, they give him the seven-minute-per-half minutes restriction, which, of course, is a bit ridiculous. Like, if you're going to play, you might as well just play, or realistically, just he shouldn't have played. And I think the only reason they even gave that was because he was going to go crazy. Like, I think he was going to say, I'm never playing for you guys again. Something yeah. pretty drastic like that, because it makes no sense that they gave him a minute's restriction and yeah. and his feelings on that at that point when he was still relatively not quite as bold i'll say as he was later in his career to yeah. publicly in interviews already start trashing the front office and question you know their will to win and Kind of in a way, like their sports manhood is is pretty. That's pretty tough to do, and I yeah. think you know he really did everything he could to get them to cave even to that. And I think the only reason he didn't even go further with that is because of some of the advice that he got from his parents and his dad, trying to just kind of tell him, "Hey, relax. You've got the rest of your career." Obviously, they couldn't pull him completely back either. Nobody can, but. Uh, you know that's it is like that's Michael Jordan to a T. That's that situation right there.
1: And that kind of shows, just real quick, it just kind of shows how they, you know, I, you could say they don't really, weren't really being honest with the minutes restriction because as soon as they made the playoffs, they didn't even restrict them <laughs> at all. Yeah,
2: and playoffs like all right, I just go play as much as you want. It's like <laughs> why, that, why change now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and also is Michael as good of a player? He, as he was, if he doesn't hate his management the whole time and almost playing with, like, a FU to management the whole time. Like, what happens if he goes to a place where, like, he likes the people he plays for and he likes the owner and he likes management and he likes... what? Do, do we get the same player or is he just not as pissed all the time and he's not as, like, fiery about stuff because there's not that one thing he can always kind of revert back to for, like, an energy... Motivational standpoint that he always you go back to like I hate Krauss, I'm gonna play hard because f this guy instead of playing hard just to play hard or because he likes basketball. <laughs> so that's something I've thought about. Like it probably doesn't change a whole lot, but it is interesting to think like Did Kraus make him a better player because he hated him so much?
1: Well, I'd say yeah. I mean that that could be a factor, but at the same time, like Michael Jordan, he's just borderline psychopath. He would have figured something else out to piss him off. He would, have, he, would have, he would have been fine. Like, uh, I don't know, I, I was listening to part of my take the other day, or, like, I guess yesterday, they had Horace Grant on the day after the Horace Grant episode this past Sunday. And he was telling a story about how he uh, he went and played 36 holes before one of those Dream Team games. He played 36 holes the day of the game. G- gets to the game, like, rolls up, gets gets to the arena, and they're playing Puerto Rico. And... This guy, this point guard from Puerto Rico said something, I not know what he said, but he said something in the, in the newspaper that was somewhat disrespectful to Michael Jordan. And like the, and like the coach was like, You take this guy, you take this guy. And Michael's like, No, no, I got this point guard. They're like, Well, you just played 36 holes. You want to guard the point guard? He's like, Yeah, he said something about me in the paper. I'm going to shut him down. And he just destroyed this point guard, little Puerto Rican point guard's
2: life for the whole game he was talking trash the whole time. Told him, never say anything about me. I'm Michael Jordan. And <laughs> like, I mean, Panda, we, we've seen him play thirty six holes. He gets through them suckers pretty quick. Oh, he, he, plays, he plays pretty quick.
0: <laughs> yeah, I completely agree that like he would have found reasons to be angry and at least motivated. But I definitely see where you're coming from there. The one like counter I would go to, not to get too far ahead, but with the Ku coach thing, like that was a detriment to the Bulls. You know what I'm saying? The way they treated coach, and the way that if anybody else on the team, like him being a draft pick, was being propped up. And he shouldn't have been propped up the way he was. Like Kraus talked about how he was the future of the Bulls. And he says this in, what, 1992? Like, it's crazy. He was immediately trying to move off of him. But, you know, I think in some ways there, Michael Jordan showed that he was a little bit – driven to the point where he would cause some detriment to the team at some point. What, what kind of, what owner GM today, or really almost the history of sports
1: would have Michael and Scotty. What owner GM combo would be like, eh, you know, I don't really like these guys. Like they, they everyone would be like, this is, this is the best thing ever. We have the best player in the league, maybe more time. He's making us all this money. Give him what he wants, like, whatever, like, don't worry. And they're like, ah, you know, maybe we should pay this guy too much, maybe we should should trade Scotty, it's like, you got a gift on your front door, and you're trying to throw it away, it makes
2: no sense to me. I think the one's Donald Sterling's, because they're not white.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, well, yeah, that one doesn't even need to be a debate, I think, uh, he takes the cake, and that's, you know, that's, uh, pretty, uh, black and white, I think, right? That's, that's pretty plain. No yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Come on. No, don't bring down the mood there, Polis. No. <laughs> All right. So to bring it back up.
2: The Celtics game too? The 63? I mean, I just thought it was really cr- – the funniest thing to me was them in the broadcast saying Rick Carlisle wants his mommy. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> like, they go to the Mavs. They're like, no nope. – like at that time, because he was, I was like Rick Carlisle wants his mommy, and that was in Game One of the series, and he was, he scored forty nine, just like that was for me, that was really funny. And then um, he put up sixty three, but it wasn't two overtimes, so take that as you as you will with the extra time to score the playoff career high or whatever. Uh, I thought that was really interesting, and the uh, the triple between the legs and then the little pull up on Bird on, on the right baseline is one of the most iconic like, little video sequences the NBA has, is him hitting those three between the legs on the old face of the NBA and just kind of hitting it in his face. Even when they lose, like, that was kind of the passing of the torch, even though their team wasn't there yet, I thought.
0: so. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a good example, not only of Michael Jordan's talent, but his relentlessness. Like, especially, think about it, without threes, basically. He got to 63. Like, he was just going down, and he definitely had the mindset kind of like, you alluded to before, Will, like the rest of the team wasn't any good, and he was like, yeah. I'm going to win this game by myself. Like yeah. everybody get out of the way, and sure, Larry Bird might be good, and this team might be an all-time great team, but they don't have anybody that could guard me. He was right.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and that was one thing like that kind of benefited them with the rules. You know, there's people say it's a detriment with the hand-checking, but there was also the illegal defense rule that made it he couldn't double-team him. So it kind of gave them those opportunity to take people one on one, you know. But in today's NBA, no, no one's going to score sixty three like Michael did ever again. I don't think because I mean, um, I guess you know, it's just it's, with all twos, no threes, all mid range going to the basket. Eventually, they would double team them or made
2: it impossible for him to get there with today's defenses. But you know, still great free throws.
0: Yeah, that's that's yeah. the thing is it, nowadays. Like, you're right, they wouldn't do it in the same way. But, like, with Kobe's 81, it's going to be through, you get hot from three, and then I believe he had, like, 24 free throws that game. Like, that's how you're going to have to do is from the free throw line and the three-point line. Yeah. Thank you for listening to today's edition of the Bolstered Up Sports Podcast. I'm Brian Bolster. Please follow me on Instagram at bolstered underscore up underscore sports and on Twitter at BS underscore takes. Appreciate all the support. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And stay tuned for the next episodes in our Last Dance podcast series. Should be coming out in just the next day or two. Thank you.